did I tell you what we're doing today? I don't know if I did. No, you didn't. Oh, I didn't. I, was gonna, <laughs> I went to t- I went to text you to be like, do you want to blind react or should I listen? And I was like, I'm not even gonna ask. I'm gonna blind react. Okay, okay. Next month I'll have you listen. We'll do like dual research or something. But I'm yeah. happy that you don't know about this because I curated this case specifically for you because it has Stop. everything that you would just make your sleuth radar like beam. First of all, it's a case oh from the 70s. Um, it's I don't think it's one that you know. It's a case from the 70s. Uh, it takes place in Chowchilla, Chowchilla, California. <laughs> and I knew that name alone would just send you somewhere. It's Chowchilla. Ch- baby, it's in Chowchilla. <laughs> that sounds like a critter. It sounds like something I'd see in my it's backyard. A it's like a chupacabra. <laughs> I saw Chowchilla last night. That's what I'm thinking of. It's 70s, Chowchilla. It's made out of... Chowchilla. It's Chowchilla. Feel it. It's Chowchilla. It's Chowchilla, darling. It's that, and then it has to do with a school bus abduction. So a kidnapping off of a school bus. Oh my god. All three components combined, I was like, this is the perfect recipe for like a sinister case that Stu is going to be like, let's get in. Let's get in. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I am going to jump in. Before I do... I thought we could do something really fun. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have it in my notes because I wanted to shout out one of the creepers from TikTok. Oh, God, I hope I can find it. I have so many damn notes. This is the problem with doing research. Oh, I got it. Okay. Nobody.amp on TikTok sent us a really nice message last night and was saying, like, I love listening to the podcast. I love you guys so much. And it just was really sweet. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to shout you out. I literally commented back. I was like, I'm going to shout you out on tomorrow's episode. So that is this episode. So hi, nobody.amp. Um, and another thing that a creeper said that I wanted to bring up, I think this was on YouTube. Um, I think it's Elise McKenna. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. They pitched a theory on Asia Degree, which I had not thought about. Do you remember that case? Of course. They were saying, they were like, <clears throat> do you think it's possible that Asia Degree got hit by a car after she ran into the woods and came out somewhere and got hit by a car and then somebody panicked and, like, took her. She was either injured or they killed her. I was like, whoa. That would be real. Because, like, the whole time we were trying to justify, like, how was this girl who was so scared of everybody able to, like, just willingly get into somebody's car? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, my God. Sinister or, thought. Or they hit, hit her, hit her and killed her and then like got rid of the body that's what i was thinking of i was like they could have hit her and then maybe just panicked because they maybe they had a warrant out who knows what could have happened it really would have messed up their life and they just took the body and she was taken somewhere it was a theory i had not thought of and i'd never heard somebody pitch so i wanted to call them out and give that shout out to a creeper um i also thought it would be fun hold on apple i'm just running through like my my Rolodex right now of all the things I wanted to do because I feel like I haven't oh, I haven't yeah. gotten to like <laughs> say much to the creepers recently but we miss and love Yay. you guys and we're so so grateful for your support that I wanted to read to you Stu some of um our five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Oh my god! Do you want to hear a couple? Of course. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um. So this is a recent one. This comes from Arliss B. Uh, let's see. I just listened to the Tika Adams episode, and yes, more survival stories. They go, I listened to this episode <laughs> while working late, and my goodness, <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat. 
I love that there was a happy ending for Tika. I genuinely had tears in my eyes when I heard the baby was born and she was okay. Silas has amazing narrative skills and Stu is an equally amazing co-host. I have never been so moved by a true crime episode like this. I'd love to hear more survival stories like this. Thank you so much, Arliss, for a five-star review. That was so sweet. And I'm happy you liked the Tika, the Tika Adams episode. Um, there was oh, one... Arliss, I feel you. <laughs> I, I, was, I feel like you and Arliss <sighs> went through a similar experience. Yes, yes. Oh, Wait, there's... um. Oh my God, this one's so good. This is a five-star review from Mrs. Corbett Potter. I hope that's your real name. I also hope you're a teacher. Um, Thrilling is the subject line. I'm going to read this in the exact tone of voice as what I imagine she, she spoke it as. Today, I lay in bed with the old school flu, feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> Death scrolling Facebook reels, or whatever they're called. Happen upon your creepy posts. I'm riveted. I dive in head first. I watch them all. Notice you have a podcast. I'm like, yes, this is a must. Find you on Apple Pods. Subscribe immediately. Listen to the latest episode about the Ohio killings. Perfection. I think she meant Idaho. Then, <laughs> as if <laughs> some post-Christmas, sick with the flu, not quite New Year's funk miracle, there's a freaking break in the case, and I am like, leaving my body. That was a wild <laughs> riveting thrilling ride i literally love you that's a review oh that's a five-star review we literally love you too <laughs> I, I know i love you for the flair and the drama of that review that was absolutely spectacular to read and i'm so happy Honestly, that you caught that episode the review of that review <laughs> riveting <laughs> Anyway, I just wanted to start with that because I was like, what a positive, like, fun thing to jump into before we get into the hell that is this case. Um, but again, thank you to the Creepers and welcome, Creepers, to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. We're so happy you're back and you're listening. Thank you for all of the support. Um, I will just say, and I'm sure Stu shares this sentiment, we love you and we love the support when you follow and subscribe to the podcast and when you rate the podcast, as you just heard, that really really does help because it helps to to boost us um it helps to keep the podcast more sustainable so we can keep covering these cases and i'm not going to belabor it anymore i'm going to throw you right in are you ready Stu? oh i'm ready <clears throat> the chowchilla school bus abduction okay oh my god <laughs> <laughs> right back to that name <laughs> okay this is this is going to be a ride so i need you to strap in let me get a couple cushions for my ass. I was going to say, I was like, honey, I was like, you need padding. You need padding bad. <laughs> now, this is a true story that jumps right out of the 70s of Chowchilla, California. We're on what was to be a very normal day in a small town. Approximately 26 children and a school bus driver were held at gunpoint on a bus and made to exit in what was the largest mass abduction in American history. That I did not know. When I was researching, I didn't know this is considered the largest abduction in America. Wow. Had you? I had never heard of this before I researched the case. Had you? No. Oh, my gosh. I, it's. I, I, I thought you were going to say, well, we'll get into it. But I didn't imagine at all when you started telling this that it was more than one child. I No, 26 children were abducted. Oh, dear God. It's like, a, it's a story that's like out of a movie or something. And I do want to preface that it is a miraculous story of survival 
and how these children kind of like banded together to overcome what could have been like one of the darkest group homicides in California history. So I will preface with that. This is going to be like the Tika Adams story. This is a survival story. So everyone, everyone can rest. No worries. It has a happy ending. Um, But I'm going to dive straight in so I can give you some backstory on the town and who these kids were and eventually what went down on this day, July 15th, 1976. Now, Chowchilla, which, again, I'd never heard of. (laughs) It's located in central California. And this was not, like, by no measure was this a place of, like, notoriety, nor was it known to be dangerous. It's like a picturesque 1970s suburban town on a beautiful sunny day in July. Nothing could go wrong until the unimaginable happens. Now, the story begins on Thursday, July 15th, roughly around 4 p.m. So there's approximately 26 children, and they were all between the ages of 5 to 14. They boarded a local school bus around 4 because they were going to get home after attending this, like, summer field trip to the local pool. And I read this while I was um, researching it. It was so cute. So this was, like, a summer program for them. Did you ever have those, like, in middle school? Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. they liked it so much that the kids actually organized their own petition to, to extend it. Isn't that so, isn't that so sweet? (laughs) Oh, it's so sweet unless the extension meant that this happened. (laughs) No, no, this was, I think this was, um. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were like, isn't that so sweet? They extended the the camp and then this happened. I'm like. (laughs) No, I think, I think the petition happened before this went down. Um, But I'm sure, actually. I think at the end of all this, they did get something. They got some kind of, like, trip or reward or something for like, what they endured. Oh but this was before, like, the abduction went down that they were like, we love the summer program. Because it's just, like, local field trips to, like, the pool, local museums. Like, fun stuff where they can, like, get bust with their friends to go do stuff over the summer. Mm-hmm. So they get back on the bus at 4. Everything seems totally fine, totally normal. And now the bus is being driven by Frank Edward Ray who everybody knew as Ed. And before I get into who he was, I was going to ask you, because I know, I know in my soul that you have a bus driver story. Everybody has, like, a bus driver story. <laughs> and if you don't, you I've know, got plenty. <laughs> I <clears throat> I can only think of, like, the the bus rides that I took, like, doing, like, sports and stuff mm-hmm. in high school, just, like, how rowdy they would get. But... I can't think of a driver-specific story, but I will say there was somebody on, I guess it was TikTok, that did an incredible like bus driver impersonation of like, y'all sit down. Like, Oh, Snarky Marky. The volume <laughs> in here is exactly. astonishing. <laughs> astonishing. Yeah, Snarky Marky. <laughs> dead. It was, it was dead on. It. Oh, absolutely. Because that was viral viral it's so funny so funny but it's like dead on like that's exactly how they would speak to you yeah we had a bus driver who lost his mind when i was in elementary school he like pulled off the road um i don't know if i've ever told you this i must have been in like second or third grade um but he he was like his first week or something and he pulled off the road into like um some kind of like abandoned parking lot parked the bus got up i'm not kidding this is like a bus of literally like elementary school kids, like kindergarten to fifth grade. And he turns around, like stands up and turns around. He goes, shut the f*** up because I'm tired of this f***ing shit. You're so 
fucking loud. He was so mad. And we were dead silent because it was the first time we'd had like a school adult yell at us like that. And we were like, we're probably heard the word. Uh, well, we were just like, Whoa. that's when you know it's serious <laughs> when you're like a kid and like an adult, especially like a non-parent says, you're like, I'm, yeah. I'm about to die. So, yeah. like, <laughs> like something bad's about to happen. I think we told people about that. We were like, because we were super late that day too. It like totally derailed the drop off times. But he still worked <laughs> the bus like for the school. He didn't lose his job or anything. I forgot his name. I think I his think name is Steve. It takes a certain like personality type to become a school bus driver. Yeah. It take I mean, well, when we talk about like Ed, the school bus driver, it's actually a really sweet story how he became a bus driver. I think you would think it's cute. Okay. He's okay, well, let me see. So I I agree with you though, like the bus drivers I've had, sinister backstories that led them to that decision. <laughs> yeah. Ed is more like he was a local farmer who like got older to like because he's like an older guy, he got to like retirement age, and he's like I love kids and like, I want something consistent in my schedule. That's like not too yeah. time consuming. I'll be like a local driver, a local bus driver. That's cute. That's super cute. I know. I just, I, <laughs> I admire bus drivers because at some point in their lives, they were like, okay, I want a job where I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> and if I do, I'm going to be taking it out. Whatever I'm going through, I can go ahead and just, fire away at them so i was about I to have respect for it i was about to i was like it's a very trustworthy position to be basically a babysitter but constantly in control of veering yeah. a car off a cliff yes <laughs> like it's a trusted position yes. we did have a, a bus driver in middle school who like also told us to shut the f- up and i don't know what compelled me to do this this is a secret i'm expelling now but because i was not this kid but she literally said, shut the hell up. And I, it got dead silent. And in that moment, I don't think I meant to do this. I said, bitch. And she heard it. She heard, and she was like, who said that? Who said that? And like, no one was fessing up. So she goes, I'm driving us back to the school. She drove that bus back to our middle school and got the assistant principal on the bus. And he was like trying to leave work. He's like, what the hell's going on? So he, he had to come up on the bus and he was like, who said it? And I went, okay. And this is how I'm like, like a gaslighter through and through. I raised my hand and I was like, <laughs> I said it. And he was like, you really? So then I went to his office and he was like, why did you say that? And I was like, Mr. Kalongi, I didn't. I was like, I just didn't want to delay anybody anymore. So I just said I would take the fall for it. But I don't know who said it. And he was like, now that sounds like a believable story. I, he's he's like, so I know good. you wouldn't say it. And I fully was like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever That's publicly said that I've to anybody. Heard. So that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. It's a true the middle fact school that story. You went in and you said, "Oh, I took the fall." Like gaslighting see... at like twelve, like gaslighting adults. I can just see you leaving his office that day and like just smirking, walking with your backpack, like so proud. Oh god, you know, playing. I was playing him like a fiddle. I don't even think I intended yeah. to go in and like lie about it. It just happened. As we were talking, I was like, I think this guy thinks I'm a good kid. I think I could sell this. <laughs> so I just kept the narrative. That's, I'm never going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, I think the timing of it was just what was so funny. Because people did erupt in laughter. Because she goes, shut the f*** up. And then I just go, bitch. 
and everyone was <laughs> pissing themselves. I mean, I'm pissing myself. <laughs> okay, so I'll get us back on track with Ed. So this bus driver, Ed, like I said, he's a sweet local man. He's a little bit older. So he grew up in Chowchilla. He's like a local. Um, and like I said, he worked in farming for most of his life, I believe. So as he got a little bit closer to like retirement age, he ended up giving back to the community. And he's like, oh, you know, I want to start being a bus driver. So he gets a job working for the Dairyland Elementary School District as a driver. He is beloved. Like, he enjoyed his work. He loved kids. They loved him. He likes the consistency. He's a good guy. So it's devastating to hear just how wrong this all goes. Now, he is the one on this day who picks everybody up from the pool at four. He's got all 26 kids that get on board to his bus, and he's going to start the the drop-off route. Now, pretty quickly into his ride, Ed makes his way onto, like, the usual road that he goes, and he spots something very strange down the road. There is a white van that is parked dead center of the road that's kind of blocking each side. So, like, you can't really, like, get around it if you're a big bus. Um... Now, our brains are wired differently because I know that if you saw that, you would be like, fuck that. That's sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you would floor it. It, Like, any semblance of danger, like, you would floor it in reverse or you would floor directly into that van. I'm scared if I see a white van across a parking lot, let alone blocking my only way on a road. Yeah. But Ed doesn't feel that way, obviously, because he's a sweet guy from the 70s. And he's like, oh, oh my God. He's like, they're probably, like, stuck he's like their, their car probably broke down he's like let me like pull up behind them and help them help this these people in this random white van that's what's sad about this it's very unsuspecting and undeserving so he pulls up to the white van pulls to a stop and as he's doing so he kind of notices something that's even stranger not too far away from this van there's actually another white van that's parked up the road that's also stopped and he's like oh that's weird But before he has time to even think about it, or actually even throw the bus into, like, park, the bus gets bum-rushed by three men who come running out of that van, dart towards the bus, all with stockings, like pantyhose, over their heads, disguising their identities, and all three with sawed-off shotguns that are pointed towards the bus. Ed describes, like, the feeling of this moment, like, his stomach instantly dropped and he felt sick. Because he had no time to react. And before he could even blink, all three of these men made their way onto the bus. And they've got guns on him. They've got guns on the children. Like, it happened instantly. Instantly. Now, the kids are paralyzed with fear because the image in front of them that they're seeing is this gunman who has a shotgun pointed at Ed's temple at the front of the bus. And he leans in and he whispers something audibly. The kids can hear it. He goes, move away from the steering wheel or you're going to get shot. Heart is ricin, baby. Heart is ricin. ricin. Wait, okay, what time of day is this? Do we know? Yeah, so the, he picked them up at like 4 p.m. So this had to be like 4.15, 4.30 maybe okay. at most. Okay, Yeah, so. We still have daylight. We have daylight, but they're on like a rural road, like a back road. Yeah. So it's like a pretty okay. secluded area because this is a small town, Chowchilla. Not quite the metropolis. <laughs> I was just thinking there ought to be a drinking game for every time you say Chowchilla. And I'll be saying it a lot. Even when it's not necessary to say, I'm going to find ways to weave it in. Now the Chowchilla press came to the scene. We can add that to our our Nancy Grace glossary. Oh my God, Somehow I think she would have said that. Now, 
they're paralyzed. The kids are paralyzed with fear because the image had got in front of them. Like I said, they've got shotgun on Ed's temple and they've got a shotgun on like all of the kids, basically. Now, this poor old man, I'm going to cry during this. I know I'm going to cry, mm. but he's so scared because he's a very like soft spoken person. So he just he like immediately complies and he puts his hands up because he does not want to take a chance of any child getting hurt. So he's not mm. he's not going to try to be a hero here. He can't overpower three men who have guns on him. So he just puts his hands up and he's doing everything they say. And he starts get, like moving away from the steering wheel and he gets directed to go to the back of the bus. And the kids can tell how serious this is because, you know, they're sobbing and it's like everyone's starting to realize like what's going on. And he gets very firm with them, which he doesn't do. And he kind of like raises his voice and he's like, be quiet, like be quiet, do what they say, which is not like Ed. Ed doesn't do that. So he's afraid for them. So one of the abductors gets behind the wheel of the bus and then starts driving the bus. Um, and I think one of them left the bus to go back in the van and one stays and keeps the gun on all of the kids and Ed towards the back of the bus. So he's kind of like in the aisle, just shouting at kids like, shut up, keep your mouth shut. And like, there are five-year-olds, five-year-olds mm-hmm. on this bus, like little babies. They don't know what's going on. Now, the this is really going to, send you somewhere the men who were eventually found to be behind this the gunmen it included 24 year old fred woods 24 year old james schoenfeld and his younger brother 22 year old richard schoenfeld this is the most menacing part that i know is going to send you into a spiral all three of these 20 something year olds were very well off kids rich kids like, rich, rich kids who had no reason to do this. Yeah, because my first thought was, like, are they doing this for a ransom? Like, yeah, of, what of course, the they are, but on? they don't need it. So it's like, what? Like when I'm talking rich, Stu, one of them had a trust fund worth $100 million in the 70s. Oh, my God. Like, what the actual f***? Why are you abducting children? Like, psychotic animals. Psycho. Like, there's no reason. You have money. You don't need the ransom. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just... We'll get into it in a little bit, but, like, I wanted to preface with that just so you know, like, what kind of people we're dealing with. Yeah. So when I heard that, my jaw hit the floor, and I'm like, that's some sh**, because I thought it would have been, like, desperation for, you know, ransom money, but they're just evil. They're just evil people who somehow found each other. So now back on the bus, don't forget, they just directed Ed towards the back. So he's sitting there with the kids. They're screaming, um, but the kids are, you know, seated, and they're staying quiet as much as they can. Some of them are panicking and, like, hysterically crying because they don't understand what's going on. And from testimonies from some of the surviving children, Ed had been repeatedly whispering to them in the back of the bus. He's like, just stay as quiet as possible. And he's just repeating that over and over again, like, trying to keep everybody calm. And just to further illustrate, like, how little some of these kids were, one of the youngest on the bus, she was a five-year-old. Her name was Monica. She was so confused by the men who were wearing the stockings, like, the pantyhose on their head that she turned to one of the gunmen who has a shotgun in her face. And she said, are you the Easter bunny? <gasps> I know. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go. <laughs> I can oh, feel God. it. <laughs> I'm gonna go. No, girl, this is Donnie Darko. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Thoughts on that so far before I get into the next phase of what happened in their plan. That's some sh- I am shocked at how young they are. Babies. I think it ranged from 5 to 14, but... No, I mean the gunmen. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. 
I was kind of thinking, like, is this going to be, like, some wacko, like, mountain men and his, like, wife and family kind of thing? They're just looking for more... No, <laughs> that's a story members? I'm going like, to write for my book. Know. I'm going to take that story. Okay. And I'm going to write that. <laughs> but no, it, it is surprising, though, how young, how, well, for one, that they don't need the money, but two, yeah, that they're like kids. They're like in their 20s. I shouldn't say they're kids. They're yeah. men, but they're young. They're very young. Yeah. So I'll be interested to, like, hear what the motivation is behind all this. Oh, it's so, I'll get into it, but it's so stupid. They're also God. stupid. I'm pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm pissed. Now, like I said, it wasn't super clear, like, what exactly happened, like, who was where on the bus, but I'm pretty sure from multiple points of research that there's obviously someone driving, there's one guy who's left on the bus who has a gun on the kids, and the other guy goes to, like, move the vans. Now, the bus is driven into what's described as, like, a canal or, like, a bamboo field. I don't know. Um, and that's where they meet another white van, which is parked and waiting. Now, half of the children, including Ed are moved into this van through the back exit of the bus and the other half are moved into the other van and they are both locked into these vans. So these white vans are like fitted inside with like wood paneling and all of the windows are blacked out. So inside it is completely dark and there is no air ventilation. This is a hot ass day in July. Oh my God. Yeah. Now, just to detail like how orchestrated all of this movement was, the kids are led to the back of the bus, like I said, with Ed, and they are instructed one by one to jump from the bus into the van so that they don't leave any footprints during the transition. This is very planned. Like, wow. very well thought out. Now, this is when everything really, really gets dark and wild, Stu. With all 26 children and Ed now locked into both of these vans on a hot day, they are driven around in complete darkness for what was estimated like 100 degrees in these vans. Oh. How long do you think they were driven around for? God, I'm going to pray to God that it wasn't anything more than like four hours. Girl, they were in these vans for 11 hours. Oh my God. Heat. No light. Ooh. No bathroom. No, no water. Bathroom. 11 oh hours having no idea like what the hell is going to happen are they about to die are they taking to be like are they going to be taken to be killed like they don't know anything so you can imagine like oh my god like what must have been going on in there like it's just sounds in the pitch black of like this encroaching darkness while kids are peeing on the floor kids are getting sick they're so dehydrated they're throwing up and ed and the older kids they, I mean, they think they're going to die, but they're just doing the best they can to try to keep everybody calm through these 11 hours. So what exactly happens next? Now, all of these hours are going by in these vans, and Ed is breaking down inside. This poor little old man is so scared, but he's trying to keep this brave face in front of the kids, and he's just telling them, he's like, it's going to be all right. They're going to let us go eventually. They're just bad people, and they just want to get some. They want to get something from us. But he's got this bad feeling that they're not going to make it out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's starting to, like, fall apart because he's the only adult there. So he's just so scared through all of this, and it's it's breaking my heart to, like, read it. But eventually, um, he devises, like, plans to keep the kids in his van calm with the older kids where they start, like, singing. They start, like, trying to, like, sing songs together, and they start trying to, like, tell stories and just do stuff to, like, pass the time and, like, distract themselves from how un believably hot it is how horrific it smells in there and like kids that are sobbing it's awful (laughs) like it's so Mm. horrific 
Now, you can imagine what the hell's going back in Chowchilla. Take a shot, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a circus. Like, the parents, what they must, they were absolutely going insane. So it's like nonstop phone calls pouring into 911. People from other towns are coming in. You've got parents that are literally flying all over the roads and like on people's lawns because they are searching for these kids and like screaming out the windows because an entire bus of children has disappeared. They don't even know where the bus is. So the hunt um, is extremely frantic in these 11 hours after no one's seeing the children. The FBI immediately steps in. This is where County was like, we can't do it. We can't do it. We got to get the FBI. <laughs> I was going to say, you know in Chowchilla, they're, <laughs> they're smoking something and just hanging out. They don't want to be bothered. I, I mean, if there's 26 kids that go missing, I think it's warranted to contact the FBI immediately. Yeah. But also, you yeah. can imagine like a story like that, how quickly that gets picked up by national news. That would get the FBI yeah, involved. Like, that's terrifying for parents. 26 kids and a bus driver go missing? They don't even know where the bus is at this point? They're like... Because don't forget, the bus got driven to, like, some field. It's hidden. And the craziest part is that, like, this poor, sweet old man I know, is probably, Ed. in in their minds, though, they're probably thinking, holy sh! that sweet old man just took our kids. Oh, absolutely blaming him. Yeah, they think that he, like, went off his rocker, he oh, lost God. his mind. But, yeah, they're thinking he he's the one who's responsible for the abduction. Yeah. Because, again, they don't have a bus. So they think that he might be on the road still, and he's, like, driving to the border of the state or something, like something crazy. Now, the, the FBI does get involved, and you can imagine just like how haunting this is for the parents when they eventually do get word that the bus is found, but the kids and Ed are gone, and there are no footprints. They're freaking yeah. out, because that's so, like, what the hell? They don't know how to explain it. They're like, it's like they vanished off a bus, and the bus is found. They had to find the bus through an aerial search because it was so well hidden in this field. You couldn't spot it from the road. That's so crazy. And the no footprints, but they do find the tire tracks. So they're like, okay, this is much more sinister and serious than we thought, which was that Ed took them. This is like an orchestrated event where clearly a car came and like lured these children and Ed into them like a van. So the parents are losing their minds. They're manic. Um, and now back in the vans, Ed is still on the 11th hour here, literally trying to calm these kids down. Um, and what's really sobering and, like, tear-jerking is that the older kids in the vans who were 13 and 14 are also stepping up to console the younger kids. And they're telling them it's going to be okay. Oh, Still. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Help. Oh, God. It's babies consoling babies. Oh, God. That's so sad. They're, like, holding the five-year-olds, and they're like, it's going to be fine. Like, you're going to see your mom later. And they're kids. They don't know what's going on. They're 14. And thank God for that, because it gives the 13-year-olds, the 14-year-olds, the drive to, like, keep on pushing on, because they're distracted by taking care of the younger ones. Yeah, yeah. And the younger ones who really need it feel like they're actually going to be okay. And that's really amazing. It's that's such it is incredible. amazing experiment of like human connection i guess yeah like fortitude i mean you would see to the end of this like the older kids in this group including ed really are the heroes of this story like how they step up and they're like will and fortitude to to make it out of this despite how bad it really gets 
Yeah. But that's where they're at. So they hit hour 12 of this hell inside these vans. And suddenly they seem to go off the road. Like they're no longer on pavement because they're like, the driving got really rough and everybody is getting thrown around up against the walls of this van. And I don't mean to like make light of it, but for some reason I was thinking of our tour van. Stop. (laughs) Which is equally as bad as like our last episode where we talked about the truck almost going off the mountain. I know, I know. At least with this one, we know that it ends well. There's a happy the, ending. The second, the second you said a white van, anytime tour somebody van. says van, you know I'm thinking of the tour van. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my god. Uh, no ventilation. Ours were actually weren't that bad, but like, yeah, I did imagine that exact van for sure. Oh yeah. What are those called? Sprinter vans? Something similar. Oh baby, no, we were <laughs> not in a sprinter van. No, it's not a sprinter van. <laughs> We were not in a sprinter van. We, we were? were in... <laughs> no. We were in like <laughs> We were in like a cater we were in like a, a delivery van. <laughs> we were in a catering we were van. Not in... Like a catering van. Oh. We were not in something glamorous. <laughs> I'm sick. I okay, I think that's more comparable to what they were in then. They just like took out the seats and like fit it with paneling and whatnot. So yeah. like I said, they go off road. The driving's getting really rough. Kids are getting thrown all across the van. They're, like, knocking into each other. Because it's pitch black. They can't see anything. They're just, like, knocking into each other. So then the van finally stops. And whoever's driving the van gets out. And then there are, like, a couple of men who were outside of the van. Both of them are there at this time. Both vans. They first open the door. They pull out Ed. And then they shut the door again. So Ed is pulled out alone. And now they would continue doing this over and over again. They're basically opening the door, pulling out a kid one by one, and then shutting the door. And then some time passes, and then they open it again, pull out another kid, shut the door. So these kids think they're about to die. Yeah. They're thinking they're getting pulled out, and they're getting executed right then and there, like one by one. And everybody is just waiting in the darkness of their van to take their turn to face it. Now... As each kid is pulled out, the, one of the men who's pulling them out asks them their name, their age, their address, and then cuts off a piece of their clothing. So you know this is gearing up for like a ransom situation. Yeah. Now, the oldest kid in the band, his name was Michael Marshall, who I'm going to preface is an absolute hero in this story at 14. He said that all of the kids in this band at the time, like the little kids, were hugging him, like holding on to him and just clinging because they were so scared about being next to get ripped out of that van and he's trying so hard to like protect them to keep them safe because they're terrified and he's terrified yeah and eventually as one by one keeps getting pulled out of this van it comes down to just michael and that five-year-old girl monica the girl who was asking about the easter bunny so who he said he physically hid her behind him because he said he could not bear to hand her over to them if he didn't know what was about to happen to her Mm-hmm. So they do open the van again and they reach for her. And he said he had to physically rip her hands away from his. And he told her it'll be okay. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. They pulled him out of the van and he had to physically rip her hands away. And he told her it'll be okay. So then they shut the door and they took Michael out. Monica, the five year old, is left alone in the van. Mm-hmm. So she's just, they shut the door and she's now with no one. Zero light. She's the last one there. Finally, she does get pulled out. 
and then they meet the fate that's coming to them. I, before I go any further, I just want to say, while I was researching this, I got to this point, because I was reading this like a movie, I was sobbing during the research. Oh my god. Like, uh, fully sobbing, Stu. It's so scary. It's so... Oh, God. It's giving me... Um, I know I've referenced this on other podcasts, but, like, episodes we've done, but, like, Changeling vibes, like, mm. which is ter- terrifying to me. Yeah. It's, just, it's like the unknowing of, like, the constant feeling of, like, are we about to die or are we not? Yeah. Especially after yeah. 11 hours. I can't even fathom, like, how long, how, what that feels like to sit in that space for so long of, like, am I about to live? Am I about to die? Like, I'm in a dangerous situation for a prolonged period of time. And imagine how tired they were. Tired, like, little kids. Hungry. Thirsty. No water. Oh, my God. It's 100 degrees in there with, like, 13 plus kids per van. It's absolutely awful. It's hell. It's actual hell. The the 20-something-year-old, the guys who did this are, like, absolute monsters. And I don't even know if it's justified, like, what eventually does happen to them. But, like, like I think they should have gotten more. But yeah, we'll get into that. So uh, let me tell you what was going on outside of the van while all of this is going down. Now, for weeks to months prior to this, in this plan that the men had been, like, concocting, they had buried a moving van underground uh in this like california rock and gravel quarry uh which they were ushering these children and ed into one by one this underground like moving truck that they buried now the moving van underground is in bad shape because it's under so much weight of dirt um because they had like buried it but before they buried it they put like old mattresses in there they put like enough water and bread and peanut butter for a single meal for everybody like one meal for everybody which is concerning if you're being ushered into something underground so all these children and ed they get crammed into this space which is also like pitch black down there don't forget um the three men finally get everyone down all 26 kids and ed and they pull the ladder back up and they shout down and they say we'll be back for you and they shut the top latch and they move a manhole cover over it put two truck batteries on top of that which are hundreds of pounds to weigh it down and then they continue to bury the rest of the van like the moving van underground like piling more dirt on top of it and it's estimated they were about six to twelve feet below earth what they buried 26 children and this elderly bus driver alive and they left (laughs) holy shit Uh I think to suggest that this would be like a parent's worst nightmare would probably be an understatement. It's so unfathomable. Like, it's unfathomable. Your kid abducted off a bus and then is buried alive underground. I'm like having trouble even visualizing the van underground. Think like a literal moving van that was like driven into a pit and then these three kids, men, I guess, just filled the whole thing with dirt, like piled dirt on top of it. Until it's 12 feet over. It's just... It's, it's diabolical. It's it's absolutely horrific. Now, this was the final nail for all of the kids. Like, everyone down there, they thought, this is over. Like, we are going to die. Because they're, they're just... They're sitting there in the darkness. And the heat, it's still hot down there. So, from one of the testimonies of a girl who was down there, she said... She just described, like, how horrific it was... Just this constant, like, wailing of cries and panic. And kids are peeing all over the floors. 
And she prayed to, she remembered praying to God and she said out loud that if she could see her family again, that she would be the best little girl in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So they thought this was the end because in total, you know, from the research that I saw while they're underground um, in that darkness, I think like this is after they're buried, a total of 12 to 16 hours would pass of them sitting there. The water's gone. It's swelteringly hot and they don't have any food left. Like they ate the food for that one meal. Like they're not going to last much longer. Um, I mean, they've gone through this now, like having been abducted at this point for like 24 hours. So one of the most harrowing testimonies that I did read was from Michael, that 14 year old who's also down there. And he said there were times where like you could hear children were crying and begging for their parents and just like this chilling, like constant sound of that in the darkness but what felt even scarier to him were these moments while they were down there and everybody got quiet. Like even the little kids just got quiet in the dark and they, everyone just kind of sat there with their own thoughts for a little bit. That was when things started to feel very real. Like everyone was kind of losing the will to like keep, keep trying to fight and get out. They don't have any options. They're buried under the earth. So that feeling of dread is setting in and they did have a makeshift like ventilation system down there, which to clarify, it was two fans. <laughs> they had two fans that they had built in down there to like keep some airflow. Both of those fans die a couple of hours into being buried. So I, or I think actually this might have been a good number of hours. Like after hour 10, the batteries mm-hmm. of the fans die. So everyone is truly like running out of air ventilation. So clearly there's this intention for ransom that we talked about where these idiots who like loaded everybody into this, this underground van, they thought they were going to like send over like proof of the clothing, like all the clothing they snipped off and they were going to get this ransom, but they have to keep these kids and Ed, I guess, alive for a period of time. So you're probably asking yourself, well, where the f*** are they? Like all these hours Mm -hmm. are passing and all this time has elapsed. So they must already be in like negotiations with police. They're not, so they are so overworked from all of the hassle of abducting all of these children that they go to sleep. Oh my God. They take a very long nap. After they just buried 26 children and an old man alive. And they said, I think I should rest. I think we should rest. Oh my God. I can't oh wait God. to, I'm not going to look now, but I can't wait to look up a picture of these. F-ers. They look like inbreds. They do. They, of course. they look like inbreds. Absolutely. Even though they're like rich kids, but I mean, <clears throat> wouldn't be the first time rich people have inbred. I'll cut that. I'll cut that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So I couldn't even fathom that, that, that after all of that, they were like ready to rest their head on the pillow. So the reason that they went to sleep was they did try to call 911 from like a remote line and they were going to demand $5 million in ransom in the exchange for like the lives of the kids and Ed not forgetting that they have a $100 million trust fund, one of them, but they couldn't get through to 911 because the lines were jammed all day and all night from families and the media who were calling about these kids. So they just, they just decide they're like, we'll try again later. Let's just rest. Let's take a break. Oh my God. (laughs) Sick. So that's unreal. Now, Back in the underground van, things went from bad to worse very quickly. This is when things get really dire because beneath all of the weight 
of the dirt that was laid on top of this decrepit ass truck that they buried the roof is now starting to cave in slowly mm. and things around them like the supporting um siding of the van it's breaking so they're not going to just suffocate to death. They are literally going to be buried alive under dirt once this all caves in on top of them. So this is when, like, full panic really starts to set in in the final hour. And Ed turns to the older kids and he really bucks up and he was like, if we're going to die, we are going to die trying to get out of here. So they spring into action and they start to stack the mattresses that were left in there, right? All these dirty old mattresses. And they climb on top of them to try to get up to, like, the latch, like, where the manhole cover is. And they're trying to move this with, like, a piece of wood that had broken off from the siding of the truck. Now, the cover with the batteries on top of it, it's, like, several hundred pounds. So I think mm -hmm. Ed is stabilizing and Michael, the 14-year-old, is up there, like, with the wood trying to basically, like, cram the thing open. And they are throwing, like, yeah. every ounce of strength that they have into, like, trying to get this open. And all the kids are cheering him on. And they're, sh they're like, you can do it, Michael. You can do it. Like, they're really trying to band together now they're up there sweating and working at this desperately for what they described as hours they're trying to do this because Ugh. it's their last resort suddenly one of the kids shouts michael it's moving <gasps> the top manhole cover finally starts to budge just a little bit at least he has like enough like room where he can like get the wood in and kind of like ledge it over if he really like throws mm -hmm. his strength into it so they keep going even harder and they're just doing everything they can everything that's possible when finally they get it open just enough that Michael can squeeze up, like, through the cover to the top, which, don't forget, is also covered with dirt. Now, above the cover, he, he like, wedges his way up as, as best he can. There is a wooden box that's, like, placed over it, like, where the batteries were that they kind of, like, pushed over. So Michael pushes through that box to get it open, and it's he's just met with, like, dirt. Like, he's buried beneath earth, but he does not give up they never give up through this so michael just starts digging like he just starts and they're cheering him on still because he's like telling everybody like what he's seeing what he's doing and he would dig for an hour straight until finally Stu, they hit sunlight oh my god they hit a beam of sunlight pours into the pitch black of the truck and everybody oh starts god, cheering chills. and crying. i know they're gonna oh. they're gonna get out they're gonna get out of there he finally got a pathway open. So one by one, Ed, he stays in and he hoists every single kid up onto those mat that mattress. And he gets them up to Michael, who helps pull them the rest of the way out. All 26 children and Ed finally get their way out of there. They make their way to the surface, filthy, exhausted, but free. Oh, my God. Am I not putting you and through the ringer right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like, now, where do they go? Like, do they run? Well, so... like. like Oh my the God. men, they, well, the thing is like when they were getting up there, they're like, we don't know what's going to be outside of here. Like for all they know, the men could have just been like yeah. perched out there, like waiting for them with guns in hand. They're just taking a real risk. Like this is our only yeah. chance. If we're ever going to get out of here, we have to do it this way. But luckily the men, like I said, were sleeping. So they're like way off site. Um, so when all the kids and Ed get to the surface, it's daylight. It's the next day. And they're just standing there in the sunlight in the middle of nowhere in this quarry. And they're filthy. And they're like. I guess we just walk. I guess we just walk. Yeah. <laughs> so once they all get to the surface and they kind of like look around, don't forget this is like a working rock quarry. So they're spotted by a man immediately. He sees all 26 tattered children and this elderly man trekking through the rocks. And he audibly spoke out loud in disbelief to them. 
the world's been looking for you. I'm sick. Oh my God. I'm sick. I... <laughs> Get this away from this me. This really is a movie. I'm amazed they've never made a documentary or a movie about They did this. make a movie on it, but it was in the 90s. I wish they would remake it because it would be so much better today. It'd be yeah, such, oh, oh my God. God. It'd be so much better to do this today because it is an incredible story. I mean, it's a, it's a piece of American history, honestly. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine, police descend upon the area and everyone is immediately taken to the nearest safe location, which ironically happens to be the county jail. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like hoping to God you said like a McDonald's or something so that they could no. get some food. The, well, they do. They're like springing Not into action. Not county. Not county. They took him to the county <sighs> prison because they were like, this is the safest location. They weren't put in like cells, but they were like ushered into holding rooms because they were like there we can do like interviews with all of them while it's fresh yeah. in their memory. But we can also, like, bring food and water in. We bring medical folks in. So they realized that they had been driven 100 miles outside of Chowchilla. <laughs> they're all brought to the station to be evaluated and cooled off because they're so, so overheated. A lot of them had heat stroke. Mm. They're interviewed. Everyone is accounted for. Everybody lived. Like, I mean, obviously, they didn't have enough food for, like, all these kids to, like, sustain them immediately. So somebody went out and immediately grabbed juice and apples for everybody <laughs> just to get something in them. Yeah. And outside of the treatment for, like, the heat stroke, like I said, and, of course, like, shock, they were relatively physically unharmed, 100% survival through all of that. That's insane. I can't believe not even one kid died. No, I mean... from something random. Yeah, well... They didn't die, but they certainly all went on to have some pretty severe mental health issues later in life, as yeah, you can imagine. Like, a lot of them had, like, long-term fears of the dark, even through adulthood. Um, some of them would end up getting mixed up in drugs and alcohol a little bit later in life, but then found their way through treatment. But um, a lot of them actually had really big issues once they had families of their own, and they couldn't... They, like, had very... They had separation anxiety with their children. Yeah. Which you can... I mean, all of this is, like, totally fair. I can absolutely see why. Totally. <laughs> I was actually thinking earlier, um, if the little girl, the Monica, if... Has she ever, like... Got, I guess she must have for the story. Like, has she gone on record about or given adult uh, recounts of, like... Oh, what yeah. the day was like. Oh, absolutely. So many <gasps> oh, of the kids gosh. have. Yeah. I mean, all of the kids have given testimony. A lot of the kids actually end up testifying once this goes to court, which is incredible. Oh, my God. I think most of them did. Um, so, well, that brings us back to, like, what you're probably wondering. What happened to our little friends? The ones who were sleeping mm -hmm. through all of this. <laughs> our the three little piggies. The, the f***ing idiots um, who buried <laughs> these children. Now... Initially, it was really difficult for anyone to actually give, like, a useful witness testimony because don't forget they all had the pantyhose on their heads, so nobody actually knew what they looked like. Um, but it did not take long for a team to go back to the site where the kids were found, and they start to investigate the truck, right? And they put two and two together with their suspect list, and they realize they're like, who would have access to this quarry? who would have enough, like, time <laughs> and, like, I don't know, after hours access to bury a moving truck. Fred Woods, the grandchild of the owner of the quarry, who had the trust fund oh over $100 million, <laughs> he would have a key to that quarry. Now, what's even crazier is that once the FBI does get involved, um, because, again, there was, like, such fame around this, like, nationally at this point, uh, the FBI actually brings in a hypnotist that day in the police station to speak with Ed, who hypnotizes him to recall key information 
from what happened when they got abducted, specifically so he can recount the plate number on the vans. That's crazy. A hypnotist that can, like, basically, like, get into your subconscious memory so you can give them vital information so they can track down who was driving the vans. That's incredible. That makes me want to be hypnotized. I know. I was like, <laughs> you can get anything out of me if you could do that. Like, that's... Yeah, I was going to say, wait. I couldn't remember a license plate teach? to save my life. Like, yeah, how do you... How, how to become a hypnotist in Literally. 2023? <laughs> my boyfriend's just shaking. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's wild. And eventually this does lead them to the warrant um, to search the mansion of Fred's dad, um, which not only do they find the guns used in the kidnapping, but they would locate a document entitled Plan, which detailed the entirety, no. the entirety of the plan with the, and a ransom note that they were planning to submit. So details within the document would show that this had been meticulously planned for like over a year. And of course, it's linked to the other two idiots who were involved. Um, and what was shocking was, was that these rich kids, it was not their first run in with the law. <laughs> so like two years prior to this, I think there was a warrant out for them for Grand Theft Auto. So they're just like rich kids who are like plotting crimes. Like they have no reason to steal these things to abduct children or like cause mayhem. They're just wealthy kids who are bored. They're just bad apples. They're b bad seeds, too. Bad. Bad seeds. Mm -mm. So, now once word of this, like, gets back to police, um, and they start searching, like, Fred Woods' mansion, uh, that's when the boys realize, like, the news has caught on to them as suspects at this point, so they all kind of scatter in different directions. Now, the youngest, Richard, who is, like, a little brother... He's 22. He actually feels remorse. And it sounds like from everything that I was able to piece together that he was kind of like the one. I mean, he still did it, but he was the one who was kind of coaxed into like coming along. Like he was there more so there for the ride, not quite the leader, not the brains behind the operation. So he turns himself into police. James and Fred, they like fully flee California separately. So James went somewhere and got arrested like pretty quickly. Fred makes it all the way up to Canada to try to go into hiding in the mountains. And he's caught by the Canadian police and then brought oh back God. to California. Now, to make this hold up in court, um, they needed verification from the children. Like, they needed, like, concrete evidence that these were the men outside of, like, an entire plan they found in the mansion that <laughs> detailed this. So what they do is they bring all three men into a videotaped lineup and they're instructed to repeat phrases that the children told police were shouted at them, like, shut the hell up, sit down, or I'll shoot you. Like, the three men are told to say that in front of the 26 children from behind glass to verify that those were the voices the kids heard on the school bus. And they were. So, That's so torturous for little kids. Oh, my God. It's the 70s, baby. Yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. <laughs> anything's game. So... Two years of this investigation would go on with court proceedings. Um, and eventually, I think 27 charges are brought upon the three men. 27 counts of abduction and kidnapping with the intention of ransom for all three men. Um, with the addition of eight counts of bodily harm, uh, for which they're found guilty of. And they would all see life in prison without the possibility for parole. Now, here's where things get a little... Wonky. So although all three men are found guilty, they do get sentenced. <laughs> Their attorneys, again, rich kid attorneys, are able to find some mm -hmm. legal loopholes to appeal this. Um, 
to suggest that the bodily harm charges are not sound because they go back to the legal definition of bodily harm and they're like bodily harm didn't technically occur here because none of the children are suffering from lifelong injuries as the result of like their heat stroke and like the abduction and the burial so you can't really get them on bodily harm and i'm like what about the years of therapy and like intensive like counseling they'll need to recover from this that's a long-term injury i would say so is bodily harm like it has to be a sustained thing that you'll deal with the rest of your life i think so yeah it would have to be like an injury that is going to like affect you forever basically i think um or at least affect you like even like in the short term like long term well maybe like short term too if you like if they broke your leg or something i think that could be considered bodily harm but technically none of the kids had broken bones or like deep cuts or wounds let's say they just had heat stroke which they recovered from like within a couple of days so i think that's what like edged it out of bodily harm okay so outside of the mental health injuries that they probably um inflicted uh i had a joke here but i'm not gonna say it (laughs) (laughs) i was like i was was like like, (laughs) i can always tell i see that little corner of your mouth go up and i'm like "Uh oh what's going on (laughs) i'm gonna say i was like what happens to these kids after all this and i was like they make a podcast (laughs) literally stop All right. So although the appeal was successful, um, it would it would reframe their sentencing. Um, So they are still sentenced to life, but they do have the possibility for parole, I think, for all three of them, which is insane. So after about 36 or 38 years, Richard and his brother James did appeal and they both get out on parole while Fred Woods still remains in prison. This is the trust fund boy. Mm hmm. Now, according to police, uh, who still keep tabs on Fred Woods in prison, he is just as much of a piece of inside the system, um, which they say is a true reflection of how somebody would act if they were to ever get out of the system. It's how they behave on the inside, which is a reflection of, like, what they would do if they got out. He is a repeat offender of, like, causing trouble, starting fights, sneaking in contraband. Specifically, he gets caught with porn a lot in prison and cell phones. Nice. And he's um, constantly... He's... So all of the businesses, the family businesses, got left to him, which and he's apparently running them or trying to run them from inside prison. Why? Why? You're not seeing any of that money. You're in prison. <laughs> I guess. Well, he like he has obviously people on the outside who were like running the businesses, but he's still the owner, I suppose, and still like keeps tabs and makes phone calls and like sneaks in yeah. cell phones. It makes no sense why, but that's what he does. So that's what his life is like now. Now, of course, police wanted to figure out, like, what the hell the reason was that they, like, went about any of this. Like, why why are rich kids abducting children? Now, according to the story that eventually came out at the time from James and Richard, they were rich kids, but they got into a habit of spending money um, senselessly, and they got themselves into some pretty bad debt, which they were too scared to go to daddy for. Oh to God. take care of so they were like we've got a great idea <laughs> let's abduct children <laughs> let's hold them for ransom they must have been high <laughs> god i hope so. so i hope now i wanted to like just recap what eventually happened to ed because like i said ed did get out too unscathed he's fine 
Ed and Michael, the 14-year-old, would receive numerous awards, specifically from the governor of California at the time for their their heroic acts and their acts of bravery to rescue these children. And the government actually ends up organizing a celebratory trip for all 26 of the kids and Ed to go to Disneyland. <laughs> oh my God, no way. Yes. That's amazing. And they, well, they better be on a... PJ for this. I was gonna say I was like, so I hope the parents drove everybody separately. Yeah, yeah. From Chowchilla. <laughs> well, so Chowchilla actually created a day, which is known as Ed and Children's Day, where they host an annual parade in celebration of their brave acts and everyone returning home safe. Aww. And I'm gonna cry again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah, I mean, this was a happy ending, but. Like, like I said, it was not without some severe damage to a lot of the kids and their mental health. Um, I think later in the 70s, there would be childhood psychologists um, and psychiatrists, rather, uh, who were interviewing the kids who noticed consistent symptoms through almost all 26, which were PTSD and persistent phobias of the dark, many of which I said carried into adulthood as the children grew up. And a lot of them reportedly sleep with nightlights to this day because they have such a long-term fear of the dark. Most of them... Uh, I think eventually do seek like long-term therapy after all of this. Um, I think some of them have even like published books. And one of the sweetest um, parts about this is that Ed actually years down the line, he, he does go on to live a very long life. He eventually passes, I think in 2012 at 91, he bought the school bus. He bought the school bus because he just felt like it was, it was going to be sold, but he felt that it was, like an important like relic of like their survival. So he paid $500 of his own money at an auction mm. in Chowchilla and he bought the bus, which he kept like in his possession for a good number of years, like in his, like a shed in his yard or something, a really big garage, I guess. Um, and eventually he like turns it over to a museum where it still sits to this day and you can go see it. And I believe they also have one of the white vans in that museum as well, which you can also go see. Oh, wow. Yeah. And all of the kids who Ed helped rescue that day, they stayed in contact with him through all of those years. And they would visit wow. him. They would consistently call him throughout his life. Um, and eventually when he does pass at 91, several of them were by his bedside, which is incredible. Oh. I know. And I think either just before or after he passed, a lot of the kids went to the bus in the museum and they signed it and wrote messages to Ed about how thankful they were for what he did on that day. Oh, oh my God. That's so sweet. <sighs> oh my gosh. It's almost like, it's so amazing that he bought the bus too, because it's like he like reclaimed that day a little bit. He did, for everybody. Totally. Totally. It's yeah. it's, and I do think it was important to like hold on to that because it's, it's like, it's, what a great way to turn it around in your mind. And remember that day for, like, what you did to survive and to save children as opposed yeah. to what was done to you. It was just, it's a beautiful ending to the story. We don't usually finish these with beautiful endings, but no. <laughs> that was so sweet. Creepers, I've never seen Silas have tears of joy, only fear. <laughs> <laughs> so this is great. Stu, <laughs> oh, that is the story of the Chow Chilla 1976 birth abduction. <laughs> the way you just said that i'm i'm cracking up about you tearing up because what was it you said to me one time you were like i'm doing that thing where i tear up because it's so scary 
<laughs> I do that. Where you yeah. just have a single tear. All the time I do that. Yeah, if I get really freaked I out by something. I think about that I all the time. I cry because things get, I just, I don't even cry. I just like my eyes water when I get very yeah, scared. Yeah. Um, but it's not like I'm crying. But right now I was, yeah, I am crying because it's crying. so sweet. Yes. It is so sweet. You know what I think would be really interesting, like, uh, from a psychiatrist's perspective is, mm. like, how, at what age, or if they could discern, like, any patterns between the kids, of like, mm. different ages of which ones are doing a little bit like better, better or worse later yeah. on. I would imagine the yeah. youngest probably had the most trauma. Probably, yeah. I think that was probably very formative for them. Not that it wasn't impactful and formative for, like, the 13, 14-year-olds, but... It seemed like through all of that, of course, they they had a little bit more like um, gumption in their wits because they're just older kids and the five year olds are yeah. babies. So how could you even process what happened to you? It's a, such a scary yeah. scenario. Like they spent oh hours and hours and hours in darkness and heat, piss so scary. all over the floor. Oh my god! It sounds like an econo lodge. Stop. So. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> creepers, I saw the corner of the mouth go up. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> also, this weird side lighting I have right now, I just keep like noticing what I think is a dimple, but maybe it's a wrinkle. It's like coming in my cheek. Do I smile? No, you have a dimple. I have a dimple? Yeah. News to me. I, I don't know if these are. You have dimples. Really dimples. Those are dimples. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You do. What a pivot. Wow. That was my fault. Wow. <laughs> it's like twenty six children. I mean, chinchilla dimples. <laughs> That's actually the newest LA procedure. Did she hear? She went to the doctor and she got chowchilla dimples. She got a chowchilla dimple. <laughs> a chowchilla yeah. dimple. I wonder if you could visit. Um, I wonder what chowchilla is like today. Yeah, I'm gonna take a look at um a picture of this bus. Hold on. Oh, you should look up pictures. They have pictures from inside the moving vans, too, that was buried underground. That you really okay, should that, look up. That's what I need to yeah, see. You need to see, like, what they were staying in. And it's illuminated because it's, like, flash. <gasps> but, yeah. Oh, my God. And you can see the top is starting to cave in and, like, break in on them. That was, like, yes. happening under the weight of the dirt. Oh, and those boxes that you're seeing in that picture with the little yeah. holes cut on top, yeah. those are makeshift toilets. Goodbye. Those are cardboard toilets that they make did they make them or did no the <laughs> the three geniuses put those in there for those oh kids God. that was their mercy oh i didn't act- i've actually never seen the van Ooh, that van is bad that van is bad news ew god oh my god it's disgusting also these guys look so gross i can't oh you found the men yeah inbred wretched inbred yeah absolutely disgusting oh my god the little kids wow this is crazy Dude, don't they look older than like 22 24 yeah they do and i don't know if that's just because the 70s it might, just be, looks... it might be the 70s yeah they all look a little bit older i was like that's 24 damn it's a rough 24 for a rich kid it's the hairline wow this is such a crazy Look at the group of them. Oh my god! Isn't this nuts that this isn't talked about more often? I feel I I've never heard never of this heard in my of life this until I researched it. This is crazy. It. Yeah. Um. This reminds me also Creepers' recommendation if you're looking for a good doc or you Silas. Mm. There's a um, there's a documentary about a hostage like a bus hostage in Germany. I want to say that I just watched recently, where it was like a standoff for like 
like similar amount of hours, like crazy where they were just like standing there and like, like a couple of people like darted and got off the bus, like, and we're just, I'll send you the link. I can't remember what What Stu is referencing Um, is Sandra Bullock's 1990s hit speed. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she's talking about. It's a documentary. (laughs) Speed is actually such a great movie. I think that was Sandra Bullock's first movie, but she looks the exact same as she looks now. Oh, that movie's incredible. I love speed with, um, uh, Keanu Reeves. Yes. I like, it took me years to like put two and two together, but I do want to watch this documentary because I love the idea of a hot, don't love it, but I love the idea of watching a hostage documentary. It's called 54 Hours. 54 Hours, my God. 54 Hours. Wow. There, that would be a really interesting case for us to cover actually we should do a case that's like a hostage a hostage situation um i know this was kind of a hostage situation this was an abduction but that would be really interesting did you ever watch money heist no oh money heist is so good it's um it's a spanish language uh drama but it's on netflix um i watch it with subtitles because i don't like when they do like the overdub it's too it's too like disjointing um but it's a bank it's like these people who were held hostage in a bank for like weeks for like one of the most intricate heists in like bank history. Oh my gosh. And like, you're following two sets of like ensemble. There are the people who are the hostages and the people who are like the perpetrators who had been like training for this with like a mastermind who's behind it. And the man, the brains behind the heist is also like dating like the lead investigator who's the negotiator on the case and she doesn't know it. Oh my god. It is That's insane. Oh god, Stu, it is I will literally rewatch that with you anytime. We'll Wait, do like a Netflix not based party. Based on a true story or based on a true story? Money Heist. Oh, I don't know if it's based on a true story. I don't think it is. It's too intricate to be based on a true story, yeah. but it is such a crazy ass show. It's so good. Oh my god. I think that I haven't seen the third season. I have to go back and watch that because I think the third season they do they get away. They're like they finally got out of the situation, so now they're just like living with the money, but they're still on the run. I don't know. It was more interesting in the bank, I think. Yeah. Oh, I have to watch it. You really do, you and John. But creepers, that is it on the Chowchilla abduction from 1976. We'll come back at you next week with another episode. I think I'm going to drop a premium episode. Um, tonight the one of jack and i yes. covering the avril lavigne conspiracy uh, i am so jelly like again <laughs> that i'm like baby you have a login you can listen i know i'm gonna i that conspiracy has thrown me for a loop for how many years has that been going on so i think it rose to like mainstream media in like 2011 2012 but the research i found was dating back to 2005 Wow. Yeah, it's it's been a long time. And I my whole goal was to convince Jack that the conspiracy was true. Like that was my goal is to be like as convincing and keep the conviction in my research to the point where I was like, this is absolute truth. And he was <laughs> so convinced by the end of it. Oh, my God. I have to listen. Wow. <sighs> he was losing his mind. because I, I feel like I made a compelling case. But Creepers, if you are not a premium subscriber, please go check that out if you would like to join We would love to have you. We love to make premium content for you. You can listen to that episode and many more to come. And Stu, should we just send a send off and say happy Friday, everybody? Happy Friday. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh my God. We didn't talk about the leprechauns. (laughs) Oh, what a missed opportunity. Why didn't we do some kind of like. I know. We should have done. That's Scotland. I was like, we should have done the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) 
we can do um the we can just celebrate tonight by watching the horror film Leprechaun. We could do that. Um, I got invited to go out to Brennan's, which is a place that has turtle racing on St. Patrick's Day. Why? I well, I guess they it's an Irish like pub style spot in Santa Monica, and I guess every Thursday they do turtle racing, but they have a special St. Patrick's Day turtle <laughs> racing event. <laughs> Only in Santa Monica, California. You can get everything here. It's worse than <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> I am actually, my. I told you my friend is coming to visit. Yeah. I'm like terrified to see, DC's a big drinking town. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen it on St. Patrick's Day. I'm, we're probably just going to walk around and, and have a viewing of the actual, the, the, the actual Irish bar yeah. is called Shenanigans. <laughs> so we're going to go look at the Shenanigans and uh get your binoculars out have a fun time be safe um creepers have a great saint patrick's day and we will catch you on another one bye everybody Uh